Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. We've got a mailbag episode for everybody this week. We're going to dive deep into the mailbag to share your feedback on our last few episodes. And we are going to reveal how MuggleCast listeners are split across Hogwarts houses. This is one of those things we've never done before somehow. So we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But first, a couple of housekeeping items. Wanted to mention that Micah and I actually did a Instagram live last week talking about this Ariana Dumbledore photo leak. Eric and Laura, did you see these photos? Yeah. leaked? Real good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They appear to show Ariana Dumbledore from Crimes of Grindelwald. And then for whatever reason, they cut those scenes from the movie presumably she is going to be in movie three so i guess you could say that this is kind of our first look at ariana dumbledore in the third movie assuming she is in this third one but i feel like that seems likely so mike and i we hopped on instagram our instagram which is mugglecast and uh we spoke about it for 20 minutes and that video is still available for everybody to watch we're striving to do more instagram lives in the years ahead Check that out if you get a second. And Eric, you were up to something over the weekend. I had a really fun weekend doing LARPing, which is live action role play. Is that a uh, Fantastic Beast? Where can you find that? (laughs) It is a Fantastic Beast. It's a fantastic thing. It was up in Wisconsin at a place called the DeCoven Center, which looks a lot like Hogwarts. It was basically a LARP called Albion School of Sorcery, and it was Wizard School. We went to Wizard School. I was a character that was not me. Uh, the costume, which I posted the uh, photo of, the professional photo we got uh, in the document, um, is kind of a cross between I wore like Jedi robes and then an old Dumbledore cloak. But uh, it was my first time doing it. And the event was run by Moonrise Games. Um, they're based in Chicago. And it was me and about a dozen other players, uh, fully masked, actually. Um, and it was four straight days of in-character role play and like joint world building. And I just have to say it was I'm a life-changing experience for me. I bring it up on the show simply to say, if you haven't considered LARPing, I certainly hadn't before this opportunity came along. I'm going to be writing more about it on MuggleNet. Um, but it was, it was just a wonderful, awesome, awesome time. Totally scratched that nerd itch. Very cool. You think, uh, LARPs are happening across the country and probably the world. Yeah. A lot of them are, some of them are like combat based where like you LARP and you go like you fight and stuff. This was like really character driven. So there was no like fighting. There was verbal sparring, but that was it. But yeah, it's all around the country. And this one in particular was really character focused. Was there a goal though? It said it was character driven. Was there something that you each were trying to achieve by the end of those four days? Yeah, it's a great question. There's basically you get your character want. Uh, You have sort of uh, an agenda for your character, what you're looking for, whether it's unveil the mystery. Mine was unveil the mystery of my character's past, which then ties into the overall narrative and storyline of the LARP. Um, So it's it was actually really exciting the way that it was all woven together. There was like a little bit of preparation beforehand, um, but really... I thought conventions were like the height of what you could do as a fan of fantasy literature, because that's what I knew. But I would say LARPing is is even like next level. And I'm excited because I think, you know, once the pandemic 
ends and there's more of these that are able to be around the world, I think LARPing is really going to be like the evolution of conventions, just in the way that, you know, consumers of fantasy genre uh, media love, and I love to feel totally immersed in something. So I think it's going to be really great. Cool. Very cool. So little note about next week's episode as well. In honor of Black History Month, we will be talking about representation in the Harry Potter series or lack thereof. And we would love to hear from listeners of color about how the Harry Potter books have resonated with you over the years. And how do you see yourself or how would you like to see yourself yourself represented in the Harry Potter series. And to help us with next week's discussion, we will be joined by Adriana Redding, who you actually might remember from Hogwarts Tournament of Houses. She was on Team Hufflepuff and they won. <laughs> so we'll talk to her a little bit about being in that competition as well. By the way, you got to check out her uh, Instagram and TikTok. She's just a joy to follow. Uh, but we'll talk to her about that as well next week. So stay tuned for a fun and insightful discussion next week okay now it is time to reveal the winner of our listener hogwarts house poll so for 16 17 years now we've been doing this podcast but we never asked our listeners um so what hogwarts house are y'all in and shout out to our social media manager chloe who put up these polls across our social media channels and then went through all the data i think it was a lot of work And here now are the results. 1,542 of you participated. 34% of you are Ravenclaws. Congratulations, Micah. Thank you. (laughs) We knew all along. In a very close second, Hufflepuff, 33.6%. Congratulations, Eric. I feel like Hufflepuffs just kind of sat home on their cozy couch. Maybe they didn't get up to participate in this. I feel like there's more Hufflepuffs Mm. out there. Uh, You know who you are, but you know what? No no hard feelings. Congratulations to the Ravenclaws for... I think, as Laura would agree with me, uh, you know, we'll take that 0.4 percentage for the win. Yep. In true Ravenclaw fashion. Winning is winning, you know what I mean? (laughs) 18.22% of you are Gryffindors. And then in last place, oh, come on, 14% of our listeners are Slytherins. Or maybe people just didn't want to admit they were Slytherins, so they went with Gryffindor, one of the other houses. Am I digging myself into a surprised by this. Oh, really? I was anticipating higher Slytherin turnout, because it's cool to be a Slytherin now. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool to be back. Especially after our house episode. That's turning heads. That's really changing opinions here. I think mm. we really did it a solid. I expected Gryffindor Same. to be last because so many of us that thought we were Gryffindor, speaking for myself, have now kind of moved on and felt comfortable coming out as the house we really are. Yeah. So there we go. We now know the results. Thanks, everybody, who participated in that poll. And by the way, if you missed out on the poll, that might be because you don't follow us on social media. So don't forget, we are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. All right, turning to Muggle Mail now, we have some voicemails to kick things off. This first one concerning Snape and Lily the Aquarius. Hi, MuggleCast. It's Laima. Greetings from the Baltics, from Riga, Latvia. 
I just finished listening to your episode about Snape and Lily. Thank you for bringing up the fact that Lily is an Aquarius. As an Aquarius myself, I can relate to Lily not wanting to continue the friendship with Snape when it becomes clear what the things and people he values are. I don't know if it's an Aquarius thing, but I feel like she might have had this same mindset as well, that uh, when you're in, you're fully in and taking good care of the friendships you have, but once you've ended the friendship, it's done and there kind of is no way back from that. We Aquariuses forgive easily, but we've already moved on from what the friendship meant to us before. Anyways, thank you for analyzing and at some moments even speculating about what could have happened. It encouraged me to do the same thing. I love that. That's what we're here for, to encourage. Love it. Deeper thinking. I think star signs are here to say for all future character discussions. I know, right? (laughs) Aquarius is, I guess, forgive but never forget. Sounds I think like. we've been leaning into the astrology signs a lot with each character discussion. Yeah. <laughs> They're good content. Also, they match. Yeah, fine. Okay, this next one is from Alexandra, also concerning Snape and Lily. Hey, guys. My name's Alex, representing Ravenclaw House. Now, my question is, based solely on the movies, it's been said to perform a Patronus charm, you need to think of a happy memory, the happiest one that you ever had. Now, with that being said, toward the end of the movie, we find out that Snape has the same Patronus charm as Lily. Do you think that they both shared the same memory? And by extent, do you believe that Lily always loved Snape and probably wanted to be with him, but only settled for James because she couldn't be with him because of who he was becoming and surrounding himself with? You know, the dark magic and, you know, his posse in high school. Let me know what you guys think. This is my theory. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, I I think it's unlikely that they shared the same memory to produce a Patronus. I wouldn't think that Lily's fondest memories, well, maybe there might be a few in there, but I think probably the more powerful ones would not have been of Snape. They probably would have been of James, maybe Harry uh, as well. But again, I don't know how early Lily produ- excuse me, produced her her Patronus charm. So perhaps there are memories of Snape that she used early on. Snape's though would definitely, in my opinion, have been of Lily. So, uh, you know, thinking to Deathly Hallows when, you know, he conjures the Patronus, I think he's reflecting back on some memories of, of Lily. Also, also worth pointing out that he's, I think, pretty miserable when he conjures that, but it's a strength to like how compartmentalized his mind is that he's able to conjure the Patronus anyway. He's clearly like p- portioned off a happy memory for that purpose. And it's so powerful that he's able to do it while, you know, especially if, again, going by the movies in complete agony, showing Dumbledore that his heart has broken more or less. So I always thought it was really cool that Snape is a guy who can be upset and still cast a Patronus, which requires a happy memory. Um, As far as whether he ever had a shot with Lily, that's hard to say. Um, What are your guys' thoughts? You know, I think last week we dug into this a little bit, and I think it's fair to say that Lily loved Snape as a friend, and she could have potentially loved him as something more. But because of the path he chose, 
that probably wasn't an option for her. She probably didn't ever see it as an option because of the way that he looked down on everyone else of her birth, you know, and the crowd that he was hanging out with. Had he made the conscious choice not to do that, he might have been Harry's father or (laughs) rather the the father of some other child, you know. Man, what if Snape and Lily got together? There never would have no. been a Harry Potter series. Would have lived really happily sad. ever after. True. And and I do think that James <laughs> often gets shortchanged because we only really have context of him for the most part through Snape's worst memory. We do get some bits from Sirius and Lupin along the way, but for the most part, we get this really negative portrayal of him. And I think that he probably had a lot more better qualities that we're unaware of that drew Lily to him in the first place. Yeah, I think so. And that this this is what happens when the storyline is set, you know, after they pass. We just don't hear everything else. So there could very well be a lot more there. And I think there is. Um we are led to believe that James does grow up. Right. You know, and that really the parts that we get to see of him are the worst parts when he was a teenage bully. Yeah. All right. Well, more Lily talk to come because here's a voicemail from Judy about bagels, Lily, and Petunia. I hope this is mainly about bagels. Hey, MuggleCast. Just loved your Jacob theories, but as a Jew and back from the that time the only bagels that really were around were probably onion, water, egg. <gasps> None of the fancy ones you used. But in regards to next week regarding Lily and Snape, um how did he end up in a place that he grew up in that was muggle with his mom being who she was? But B Don't you think it's interesting that both Lily and Petunia are named after flowers? I've never heard anybody talk about this. Anyways, this is Judy from Santa Monica, California. It's a beautiful day out here, and I hope you guys are having a great one yourself. Thanks for all you do. Love to listen to you. I'm recording this episode from the California beach, not Santa Monica, but another one. So what's up? Well, I'm grateful for modern... Uh, bagel flavorings then yeah. to say the very least but actually there are a ton of flower names in harry potter it is not just yeah. lily and petunia poppy pomfrey uh you know professor sprout you know there's a lot of generally growth and uh, fleur for instance in mm. french is flower good call yeah so. and aren't lilies traditionally the flowers that you like send in condolence like to a funeral, for example. It's a dark place to take it. But <laughs> when it comes to naming in this series, I don't think that anything is unintentional. No, I'm also taking a look at Petunia and says some of the most common meanings for the Petunia are a soothing nature, which I'm not necessarily sure applies to Petunia Dursley. However, the other two are resentment and anger. Well, there we um, go. Anger and resentment are common themes for this flower when it is given to someone with whom you've recently had an argument. I think it's fair to say Petunia has a lot of resentment towards probably her sister, but I think more so maybe even herself at times, um, certainly with the wizarding world for not being accepted. Yeah. And I just looked up other names that I had forgotten and uh, Lavender, Pansy, Narcissa, 
also oh, yeah. all flowers. And apparently uh, Padma um, in Sanskrit means lotus. So Interesting. All right. This next one is from Eric concerning Snape the Secret Keeper. Hey, MuggleCast. Uh, my name is Eric. I just finished episode 546. Uh, I'm a Hufflepuff, and my favorite book is Goblet of Fire, as well as it is my favorite movie. I just love all everything about that. Anyways, I wanted to give some feedback about, not feedback, but some foresight into next week's episode about Snape and Lily. I've always wondered, this isn't really uh, in the books, because canon really only speaks to... Uh, Pettigrew and Sirius being a potential candidate for their secret keeper, and they chose Pettigrew. Um, I always wondered if Lily maybe, you know, wanted Snape to be her secret keeper potentially, and uh, just never really voiced that opinion to to James. Uh, you know, I don't know how that relationship kind of went, but I felt like, you know, with how she was a friend with Snape, that she would have maybe wanted him to be her secret keeper um, and just wasn't really ever talked about. Um, anyways, thanks for everything you do. I appreciate it. Uh, your episodes give me lots of light on my journeys. I travel a lot. Uh, sorry that it's in the car, but I'm being safe. Have a nice trip. See you next fall. You have a nice trip, Eric. We'll see you <laughs> next fall. And thanks for your fandom ID at the top. That was great. Yeah. And thank you for staying safe. I love this as a theory that I also think could not have happened um, because part of becoming someone's secret keeper is trust. This is a person that you trust above all others to keep Lillian James safe from Voldemort. We know, knowing what we know, that Snape would have done it um, had he been given the, sh- the chance, but it's kind- James would never have gone for it. And it's kind of like being like, hey, that guy who's like weirdly creeping on you who still has feelings for you. Should we make him our secret keeper? And he might be in with Voldemort. Lily would never have been able to trust that Snape wouldn't turn her in. There would be no way after the friendship fell through to the point of the Aquarius too. Like she's moved on. There never would have been an opportunity. I don't think where Snape would have been in consideration because of the years long falling out that they had. Also, at that point in time, Snape was only interested in protecting Lily. We see that when he is confronted by Dumbledore in um, the Prince's Tale chapter of Deathly Hallows, where Dumbledore says, well, couldn't you just ask Voldemort to spare her in exchange for the lives of her husband and son? And Snape says, oh, I did. I did ask him. And that's when Dumbledore says, you disgust me. So it's just really clear that at that point in time, Snape is still very self-centered and viewing Lily as more of an object that he really regrets losing. He's not thinking about the larger picture of protecting the lives of everyone involved or doing the right thing and being on the right side of history. He's only thinking about his fixation with her, which I do not think would make him a good candidate to be a secret keeper. I agree. Had he been the secret keeper, he would have made the same deal with Voldemort that he did make. Just keep Lily safe. And then when she steps in front of the baby, like she does, like she did, he still would have killed her and then been like, ah, Severus will get over it. All right, let's move on to this next voicemail concerning the prophecy and a prophecy parallel. Hi, I was listening to episode 
episode 472, and Lucius is asking for the prophecy from Harry, and there's a parallel to book one when Harry is asking uh, Draco for Neville's remember all back. And I just wanted to know what you guys thought because the prophecy could have concerned Neville, but it ultimately didn't because Voldemort didn't choose Neville. So thank you. Goodbye. I Laura, you like gasped love when we were this. Playing. No, this <laughs> this is such a good catch. I mean, the fact that, you know, you have Neville, who could have been the other person referenced by the prophecy. You have the fact that Lucius's son is the one who takes Neville's remember all. And then a few years later, it's Lucius himself who's trying to take the prophecy from Harry. It's brilliant. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I never noticed that. I think Laura just saw herself in this collar when, when we were playing that, and I see Laura in this collar. It's like we just went back in time. If if there had been a Muggle cast that we would have written into when we were that young, oh my gosh! Exactly. Well, I'm flattered exactly. that you say that, Andrew. This this collar is clearly um, a very skilled literary analyst Wise. from a young age. Yeah. Are you a Ravenclaw? I'm not yeah. trying to put you in a Must box be. or anything, but Must be up that percentage for us, Laura. But <laughs> That's yeah. When I heard this voicemail, when I was going through and, and planning the show, I was like, "We have to include this because I never even made this connection." And building off what you said too, Laura, right? They're both these round, shiny objects. I don't think that that was coincidence. Now looking back on it, definitely not. I've never made that connection either. And I love that. Yeah. Wow. Powerful. Wow. The next one is from Gabriella. Hi guys, my name is Gabriella, and my boyfriend Chris and I were just talking about the circumstances surrounding Narcissa Malfoy um, letting Voldemort know that Harry was dead, when of course we knew that he was not, or he had come back. Um, so I know this might not really jive with too many of your current topics, but if it uh, gets your brain juices going, then we're wondering, what do you think would have happened if um, Draco had been hurt or had died in the Battle of Hogwarts? So when Harry was reporting to Narcissa, if he was okay, he had given her bad news. Do you think that she would have done the same thing that she did um, in canon and told Voldemort that Harry was dead? Or do you think that would have changed the way that she responded and handled that situation? Just curious. Thank you guys for producing content. You guys are superheroes. We love you. Bye. We love you too. Superheroes, that's so sweet. Yeah. It's an interesting question. I still think Narcissa 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 would have acted like Harry was dead. You think? Her motherly instincts were coming out in that moment. Uh, I think this is definitely up for interpretation. I think a really optimistic reading of that could say that Narcissa had a change of heart and approached Harry as a motherly figure. Um not to say that like I'm an eternal pessimist, but I tend to subscribe more to the view that in that moment, Narcissa was desperate to keep her son alive and keep him safe. Yes. Um. So I'm not a fan of lying, but I am saying that if Draco had died and I were Harry in that moment, 
I would have 100% lied to her to make her think her son was still alive because I would have wow. seen it. I would have seen it as my best uh, chance of survival if she thought Absolutely. if she thought there was a chance that she would get to see her son again. Yeah, she is so desperate in that moment for something for for the proof that she has not screwed up to the point where this war that her side is battling on Hogwarts was resulting in the death of her son. Mm. That's the one thing she cares about. Harry needs to tell her no matter what that Draco is fine. Otherwise, I really think she would have. Um, well, what do you think she would have done? Because told the truth. No, no, no. I'm saying if Harry, let, let's take what Gabriella said here. Let's say that Harry does say Draco was killed. What do you think happens next? Because in my mind, I don't think she does anything to Harry. I think she turns on Voldemort. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And how does she turn on Voldemort? He's yeah. dead. Harry's dead. But, but then Voldemort would have definitely like checked Harry or sent somebody no, else no, no. to check Harry. Yeah, no. What I mean is I think in literally in that moment, she would have turned around and started firing spells in the direction of Voldemort. And then maybe Harry is able to get away. I don't know. But I don't think oh, her yeah. anger would have been directed at Harry, regardless of what he yeah, that's, her. Yeah, that's a good point. Grief is weird. Because the, I will say, like, okay, go on. No, I'm just saying then at that point, she probably feels as if she doesn't have anything left to live for, because I'm not sure how strong right. her yeah. relationship is with Lucius, but I don't think it's <laughs> that great. The thing is, Harry can't possibly know Draco's status when he's asked because he's just been up in the headmaster's tower. He's been down to the lake. He last saw Draco like four hours earlier. In when the, he saved uh, his ass. Trophy room, yeah. <laughs> so like four hours, a long time for war to be. I know there's like a hiatus or whatever, but Harry really doesn't know Draco's alive, but he does the smart thing. To the best of my knowledge, he is alive, right. Judge. He's <laughs> like, I heard, I saw his jaw move. <laughs> it's like, what's <laughs> He's alive. Asterisk. Four hours ago. I do think that this is a point that could definitely be up for interpretation. I don't know that there's anything in the text that definitively says one way or another what how her motivation would have shifted. Um, but what we do know at the end of the day is that we have this nice circular moment where a mother's love is, again, yeah. what saves Harry from Voldemort, even if it wasn't his own mother's love. It was a mother's love. And that's why I still think Narcissa would have lied to Voldemort in that moment if Harry said Draco was dead. Or maybe he would have said Draco is dead, but I tried to save him. Okay, so let's move on to our final voicemail. This is from Zach. Hey guys, this is Zach again, Southern California, Ravenclaw for life. Uh, not sure if you actually get these. Left several of them, but I have no idea if you actually get them. However, uh, so I was like several of the people, I'm sure, and I bought one of the Ravenclaw Quidditch jerseys, the T-shirt ones that you can get from uh, the Harry Potter world. So as I was in the dollar store yesterday, actually, I had some guy tap me on the back and ask me what, you know, the last name one was. And I was like, oh, that's mine. And I got it from this. And he's like, oh, that's really, really cool. And I like how your math matches, too. And I was like, thanks, all Harry Potter. And he's like, oh, uh yeah, I, I'm not, not a fan. I don't like Harry Potter. And I'm like, oh, I, I think it's really a little He's like, yeah, I, I saw some... Broadway play thing. I don't know. The stuff was really good looking. I just I don't like any of the story of it. No, 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 no. That, that, that's the cursed child. So please do not let the cursed child that you think that's what Harry Potter is. 
So I, that's the third person I've now run into that has had the cursed child ruin its whole concept of what Harry Potter is. To me, it's not bad enough that people only see the movies as what Harry Potter is. Because as far as I'm concerned, then it can be a quote-unquote real fan of something unless you know where it started. Like, you have to understand that, yeah, bubblegum is good, but it still came from base gum that, you know, had no flavor to it. you got to understand where things came from. So, uh, yeah, anyway, just wanted to share that with you guys. Just, I don't know, glorified fan stuff ruining things. Have a great day. This is an interesting angle I don't think we've ever considered before. People who are seeing The Cursed Child having not read the books or seen the movies, they're seeing this and being like, why do people like Harry Potter so much? Because that was garbage. (laughs) Yeah. This is what I was saying earlier about how this could spark an entire conversation probably for us to do a podcast on in terms of how we've we've talked about how people have gotten into the series but i think most of us have done it from either the perspective of the books or the movies this takes it to a whole new level and somebody just making the judgment based upon the story of cursed child to say well harry potter that's not really for me and i i wonder how many people might also fall into that with the fantastic beast films seeing those before they've ever seen a harry potter movie or even read a harry potter book and saying actually you know that second Fantastic Beast film, I really didn't understand what was going on. So I think that's a real thing. Yeah. That's why it's so important for them to not screw this up because this hurts the overall brand. Yeah. Honestly, I um, saw Crimes of Grindelwald with a few people, um, you know, friends who weren't really big Harry Potter fans, but they had seen the first Fantastic Beast movie and really liked it. And when I saw Crimes of Grindelwald, I was embarrassed because I was like, oh, my God, you guys, like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know what that movie was, but they were left feeling like, what is going on with this franchise? And I couldn't blame them. And Laura podcasts about this? Really? Kind of. I mean, they were like, so (laughs) what do you guys talk about again? Honestly, honestly, with everything that's gone on in the Harry Potter fandom and just with Crimes of Grindelwald and Cursed Child to an extent, like I like Cursed Child, but the story, as we know, was chaotic. Right now is not the best time to be like, I'm a Harry Potter fan, loud and proud, because there are a lot of Dementors and Death Eaters out there right now. That's a good way of putting it. I don't know that I would say I'm not embarrassed to be a Harry Potter fan. Um, I'm pretty open about being a fan of the core stories, but I am, I will happily uh, critique what deserves to be critiqued. Yeah. And I think there are other fandoms that have. Maybe not exactly the same issues the Potter fandom has, but there are definitely other fandoms that have material that came out of the franchise that they just acknowledge we don't talk about. Definitely. That particular film. Right? Every franchise has missteps. I yeah. guess I should just say, I don't want to go out on social media right now and champion Harry Potter. That's how I've been feeling over the past couple of years, just with everything going on. I love being a Harry Potter fan, just not like outwardly, guys, Harry Potter's amazing right now, because there's a lot that you don't want to brag about. The That angle of uh, like a chain is only as weak or as strong as its weakest link is a series or franchise only as strong as its weakest installment, because somebody could see Crimes of Grindelwald or Cursed Child, and that would be their intro. 
Absolutely. As it was for this person that Zach ran into. It's just a real shame that the most recent stuff is... There could be a thing where we're gatekeeping, but like I think the lowest quality stuff has happened the most recent. 100%. The same thing could be said, right? If you watch one of the Harry Potter movies randomly without any context, you know, let's just say... or. I'm just picking, but order the Phoenix. And you're like, oh, what is this? I don't understand what's going on. I don't like this at all. You, you never know. Like it's it's the same kind of thing. So there's a real possibility. And not only that, like the other thing just to layer onto this too is that there has been so much going on with the author now that I think that it could be for many people prohibitive from even thinking about reading the series, watching the movies, engaging in the community in in many ways. I think that's the hardest thing about being a Harry Potter fan right now for me personally is I'm open about loving Harry Potter, but damn if I don't feel self-conscious about it sometimes and kind of feel like, do I need to give a disclaimer that I think the author is just completely out of touch and speaking about things (laughs) that she really shouldn't be? You know, it's it's hard to want to give a disclaimer about the things that you like to qualify. Like, I'm not a bigot. <laughs> it's a tough place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should talk about it, though. I think we should have yeah. those types of conversations because ultimately hiding it does nothing. All right. So let's move on to some emails now. This for- this first one is from Maddie about the auguries cry. Hi, Mugglecasters. I love your podcast so much, and it makes my Tuesdays a lot better. I just wanted to say that in your Jacob discussion, you mentioned auguries, and you said their cry was an omen of death. It actually means it's going to rain, but everyone used to think it meant you were going to die. They're kind of like the black cats of the Wizarding World. Anyway, thanks for a great podcast. So yeah, I swear I read that at one point. Didn't we say it was in a companion book or something? Yes, but... I did look it up and there is something to what Maddie's saying about it being just it's gonna rain. But yeah, I I, I definitely remember reading it, uh, like you said, Andrew, that something having to do with an omen of death. But we can also so, tie this point about the cry meaning it's going to rain into that theory <laughs> that one of our listeners presented, right, a couple months ago about how all the big scenes with Jacob involve rain. <laughs> So there is still something there. there. I like it. I like it also. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past anybody to... to It could still be a be uh, foreshadowing or bad omen uh, yeah. that the Tomato, tomato, crying. right, Eric? Yeah, yeah, exactly. A little bit of rain, a little bit of death. Was that Sam's boyfriend's theory, if I remember correctly? May have been Roshni. I don't know. All of our listeners are so amazing, bringing amazing theories to the panel. Whichever one of them was on the Jacob episode, yep. it was them. <laughs> Let's look it up. And Micah, I'll look it up while you read the next okay. email. This next email, speaking of Jacob, comes from Jason, who says, and Eric, keep me, make sure I do this correctly. Good eye. Yeah. It, that was amazing. Native Australians just turned the corner and go, did Siri just come on? <laughs> we'll have to check with Andy to make sure that uh, yeah, we get yeah. there. So longtime listener is Jason around episode 50 from Tasmania, Australia. Just listen to your latest episode with a character analysis of Jacob. I was particularly interested in your thoughts on regaining his memories from the first movie. When Jacob had his memory erased, I believe that there were residual good memories in his subconscious. 
evidenced by his bakery goods and a familiarity of Queenie when she visited the bakery. Once these came back, as these were the strongest, the others came back as well, even though they were quote-unquote bad memories, because they were all linked with his time and adventures with Newt, Tina, and Queenie. They were overall from a great time in his life. I'm 52 years old and have been married for 30 of those. During that time, there have been great memories, good memories, bad memories, and those I really wish I could erase. But I would not change them. They have made me and my marriage what they are today. The bad memories remind me of how great the other memories are and how far I've come as a person and how my relationships have grown and improved. This is what I think Jacob experienced. Yes, there were bad memories, but overall, it was a great experience and so was not erased. Love that. I think you hit the nail on the head. I appreciate the perspective. Yeah. And update, it was Roshni who was on the Jacob episode, and maybe it was Roshni's husband. (laughs) I'll keep just wildly throwing out guesses. (laughs) It was her cat, actually. (laughs) This next email comes from Courtney. I was just listening to your latest episode on Jacob, and I wanted to give my thoughts on the whole Jacob's lost memories thing. I think we are forgetting that we can't take Jacob's lines that seriously in Crimes of Grindelwald, where he explains that he didn't have any bad memories and Queenie filled in the rest. Ta-da! He was under the effects of the love potion or the spell at that time and was definitely a little punch drunk. I'm more inclined to think that the real story is much closer to what the end of Fantastic Beasts portrayed. Jacob likely had subconscious memories of everything and couldn't make it all make sense in his head. Meeting Queenie again helped spark those memories and she helped fill him in on what really happened. I imagine that part of Queenie's spell gave Jacob his happy-go-lucky attitude about everything that had happened, and that's why his explanation feels so weird to the audience in Crimes of Grindelwald, because it wasn't all the way real. Let me know what you guys think. Um, Yeah, it's possible. I don't think being under a love potion necessarily makes you a liar or more inclined to obfuscate. I think it does make you skip things, like you're just trying to get back to your love, right? It's like when Ron takes a love potion, it's all he can think about is Romilda. It's that's top of mind. And so, yeah, having that character have to answer for this huge plot hole that was left behind from the last film is not the best time to ask a character about that plot hole when they're under a love potion. But I, I'm in generally inclined to believe that he was telling the truth, that that was the essence of the answer, but that it was a bad answer by the writer. That's my thought. But how do you guys think? Yeah, I, I think the writing we've talked about this a lot, was just so convoluted in the second film that I think it would have allowed for a little bit smoother of a transition if they would have also allowed it to play itself out just a little bit longer. Um, So those are just kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah. I think that scene, that whole very small part of the story just suffered from being underdeveloped. I think if they had let it breathe, Mm -hmm. it would have played out a lot more naturally. Yeah. And it it was just too quick. We didn't need that right at the end of the movie. They could have ended the film a totally different way. I think they could have let the viewers kind of live in suspense in terms of whether or not Jacob was going to actually regain his memories. Because I think going from the rain, as we mentioned before, to inside of his bakery was only a few minutes. Normally, you would want that to play itself out just a little bit longer. 
All right. Well, this next email comes from Will, who writes in about Jacob and the Elder Wand. Will says, I'm from England, and I'm a Gryffindor with a Runespore Patronus. I just listened to the most recent episode, 545, and had a response to the Jacob having the Elder Wand theory. Although this sounds like a very Dumbledore thing, I don't think this can be the case. We see Grindelwald get the Elder Wand from Gregorovich as a young man during Deathly Hallows, and we also know that Dumbledore only gets the Elder Wand after defeating Grindelwald in 1945, although I'm not sure where these time jumps will be happening in Fantastic Beasts. Despite the canon of the books not being 100% followed so far, McGonagall, we do see that Grindelwald already has the Elder Wand in the fairy in the very first scene of the original Fantastic Beasts film. The camera pans to it being in his hand. My theory on the wand is that it allows Jacob to more easily enter magical places like ministries where wands need to be present on entry without suspicion, like in Order of the Phoenix when Harry goes with Arthur to the ministry for his hearing and presents his wand to the badly shaven wizard. Would love to hear your thoughts on this in a future episode. And I think it's great you're still going. And Andrew, he would like you to read this part. After all this time. (laughs) (laughs) I like, yeah, I like this theory. I think the wand's a little past. I think it's also just a quirky, fun thing for the viewer to see Jacob getting a wand since he's the muggle in the story. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And I believe the badly shaven wizard, isn't that Eric? (laughs) Yeah. The one, the guy who wears the wand. But he's also like your favorite character, isn't he? Kind of. Um, He's yeah, up there. My, fa- my favorite top five. My favorite meaningless top character five. that has that. If, if there's an HP TV series and he's not in it, that will make or break the TV yeah. series to me. In fact, they're lucky that it's going to be the fifth book adaptation, like seven or eight years in that until that moment, because it's really going to make or break the series. For me, if that answers but your question, if they cast you to be Eric, mm, there you go. Eric plays yeah, Eric. I, I'm sure I could forget to shave for a couple of days and. Fresh off role playing. You're ready to jump into that type of role. But I do like this theory from Will. I I don't think it's one we've talked about much with it being kind of just a way for Jacob to gain entry to different places that he otherwise would kind of be questioned about. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Sort of thing. Yeah. But don't we think, do we think it'll be a little disappointing if the wand is just a prop and doesn't really do anything? I mean, after all the buildup we get from it being in the trailer and Jacob's reaction to it. I have a feeling right. it will. It's going to do something at some point. Okay. Uh, otherwise, it'd be a disappointment. All right. Well, the next email comes from Ellie concerning a maledictus. Hey, MuggleCast. I live in Adelaide, Australia, and I just wanted to share a theory that I think might be interesting. The other day, I was reading the Cursed Child play script when it mentioned that Astoria, Draco's wife, suffered from a blood malediction from an ancestor that showed up in her. Is it possible that that ancestor might be Nagini? Perhaps Astoria is a descendant of a sibling or maybe Nagini had children? Just wanted to share this thought. Thank you for always making my day, Ellie. Interesting idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know what this tie-in would add to the story and i feel like most things are done with purpose (laughs) really cursed child really i mean (laughs) well okay that's fair but this is a pretty serious development to add into the story 
Well, and and it's a very specific term that was never used before, but then was written was used twice, like the same year, because both things were written like right. the same year. So it could be a possibility for sure. Um, I just I don't know that. Well, it's it's always possible, but I'm just thinking that Nagini and Astoria would have been both around at the same time, and at that point, I think. Nagini was sort of fully transformed into a snake. So I don't know necessarily how they could be like I don't think there's a direct relation between the two of them necessarily, but there could be a family connection between them possibly. Yeah, this franchise loves family connections, so <laughs> I would not be surprised. I yeah, I guess I would be shocked if they tied Fantastic Beast to Cursed Child. But yeah, I don't. Well, and plus, Nagini was not a part of the third film, as far as we know. So I don't know how much more of her we're going to be getting in the Fantastic Beasts franchise. Yeah, it might have unfortunately initially been part of the plan to tie mm. these two things right. together, and with all the rewrites, they might have said, "Screw that, <laughs> I'm not doing that anymore." <laughs> we can we can forget about Nagini. There's too much heat around that. All right. Well, continuing on with the great feedback we got on the Snape and Lily episode, this one is from Maddie. Says, My name is Maddie. I'm 14 years old. I love your podcast. Well, thank you, Maddie. Uh, I've been listening for a little over a year now, but this is the first time I've written in. A question on your most recent episode about Snape and Lily. When you were talking about how Snape should have been nicer to Harry if he loved Lily, I realized that he probably treated him that way because Harry looks too much like James and reminds Snape of Lily's other life without him. However, what if Harry looked more like Lily? Would that have made Snape respect him more because of the resemblance to his mother or worse because it would make him miss Lily even more? It's a great mm. question. I think when Snape sees Harry, he looks so much like James that Snape feels like he's looking at his high school bully all over again. Um, we did talk about ages ago, I think, what if um, Harry had been Harriet? And mm. this got brought up. What if he had not only been Harriet, but what if he looked like Lily? And then we didn't want to go any further down that uh, conversational path cast. because it felt <laughs> super uncomfortable. So I think for the purposes of the story, it's probably better. This I think way. Harry's lucky he looks like his dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is which is not to say that like Snape's a pedophile or something. No. I don't think. No, but but I think, yeah, because of the unhealthy relationship that Snape had with Lily, it's best if like having something that's like Lily's eyes, that's the touchstone that like gets Snape to be not the very worst to him. He's still super awful to him. Um, so I think that, but I think that was the best possible outcome because he's still choosing to be awful to all the rest of the students too, that he didn't have a beef with their fathers. That's just sort of the shell that Snape has become because of the consequences of his own actions. Right. So it, it's possible he would have been softer towards Harry, but it, I think it, to the conversation you were talking about, Laura, if I remember correctly, we we also referenced how he treats Hermione. So it's not like he pulls any punches. Uh, he's a complete asshat to pretty much everybody. But 
Yeah, it, I think that's probably a topic of conversation for another episode and or a bonus muggle cast. I actually think that he would be a little kinder to Harry if he looked more like Lily or if he was Harriet. I think it's just like if you see so much of Lily in Harry slash Harriet, <laughs> Harrietta, I think that would have an effect on him. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, I'm very optimistic. Always. Andrew is the optimist of this panel. I know. What was the other thing I was being so optimistic about? <laughs> oh, that Narcissa. Saving Narcissa, yeah. yeah. Narcissa would have saved him. Snape would have been nicer. <laughs> See, but this is great Slytherin representation because I think <laughs> typically Slytherins, yeah, Slytherins get stereotyped as being very pessimistic. Yeah. Um, but actually, Andrew's the most optimistic of this panel. I'm changing everybody's minds. I don't know if that's about true. Slytherins. But- I think I think the evidence, yeah, I think it speaks for itself. So, uh, you know, I, I just got to say how much I love all of the Snape feedback, like looking down the list at like the remaining yes. emails, more Snape, all Snape, all Snape all the time, every day. This next one comes from Haley about Snape's Patronus uh, from Melbourne, Australia. I was listening to the latest episode on Snape and Lily. Oh, she didn't wish us a good day. Uh, I wanted to weigh in on why Snape's Patronus is more sad than creepy. My thoughts are that because Patronuses are cast from happy memories and the only happy memories Snape has are with Lily. He has known other happy, he has no known other happy memories before or after her. That's why it was and always will be a doe. So the idea that he's stuck on that and can't move forward even if he wanted to. I love that. Yeah. And we know he's so damaged, right? I mean, Dumbledore says as much to him when he basically tells Snape, you're going to be the one to kill me. <laughs> your because, soul doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, your soul's already broken. Did we can you say you're the Draco. only one who can talk to uh, speak to the quality of your soul? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> ouch, Albus, geez. Yeah, this one hit me right in the feels. Uh, definitely want to thank yeah. Haley for that. Yeah, I agree. I think... I mean, Snape's definitely got some creep factor about him, but overall, I see his Patronus as sad. I wouldn't say a sympathetic portrayal. That's different, but it is indeed sad. Yeah. All right. Our next email comes from Beth, and it is about Lily and Snape. Um, so glad to hear that that episode inspired so much theorizing and yeah and just thinking from from listeners it's great um so beth says i just thought of this both snape and lily were amazing at potions i wonder if there's any chance that before they're falling out they might have worked together on potions worked and helped each other to find ways to do them better. Maybe some of the things Snape learned were from her. Do you think that Snape and Lily worked together on potions? Is there any chance that some of the suggestions in the Advanced Potions book, even if they were no longer friends by then, were influenced by Lily's potions work? Just wondering what you all think. And thank you for always being such wonderful people and all of the Harry Potter love. Thank you, Fun theory. This yeah. I love absolutely because mm-hmm. I think in real life we're better when we collaborate. We're we're best when we collaborate, and uh, sure. not all of our ideas can come from our smart, intelligent brains. I also love the idea of Harry's sort of like star pupil 
in his sixth year potions class being influenced by his mother's own work. Oh, don't make me cry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You have to think that they would be helping each other out if they're both good at potions. Definitely. This is probably a reason they they got along. I like Mm -hmm. that a lot. All right. Well, the Snape feedback continues. This is from Dana concerning Snape's obsession. First, I want to say that I only just discovered your podcast, but I'm really enjoying it. Thank you for taking the time to do it. Well, thank you, Dana, for finding the show. Glad to hear that. To comment on your episode about Snape and Lily, specifically his posthumous obsession with her, I wanted to point out that in therapy, we are taught that when one experiences trauma, one can become emotionally stuck at the age when the trauma occurred. Snape was 21 when the love of his life was so brutally murdered. So based on this theory, his emotional growth was stunted at the maturity level of a 21-year-old boy. Oh, gosh. I already love this email. Of course, in therapy, one might work through this and hopefully come out on the other side, better able to handle the grief and to see it through healthier, more mature eyes. But therapy was not something Snape probably had access to in his in his world. So in his mid-30s, as he was in this book, he may still be only 21 years old emotionally. We must also keep in mind that the demographic for whom she was writing these last two books was young adults in their late teens slash early 20s. Given how most people feel about love at that age, Snape's actions might seem romantic, relatable, perhaps even justifiable. Thanks again for the podcast and your insightful thoughts about this world we all love so deeply. Love this theory. Explains a lot. Oh, it definitely does. I mean, we we know that um, Hogwarts is a security nightmare, but I think it's also fair to say it's an emotional nightmare uh, mm. because there, there there aren't any therapists in the wizarding world that we know of, right? Right. I mean, apart from Mrs. Weasley, I think she's the closest one. Or even just like counselors. Yeah. In elementary school, middle school, high school, there were counselors available if you wanted to meet with them here in the muggle world. I don't did we see anything like that? I guess the counselor was your head of house. No. Maybe. Right. But, but you know, if you wanted a word, I, you could pull aside a teacher, but you could do that. You can do that in the muggle world too in addition to the counselor. So You know, I was a peer mediator when I was in elementary school. I was too. If you want the most biased opinion possible, ask your head of house to like or or like any ask your friend. The only people that these characters have to go with like to with their problems are all very biased. And unqualified. I would yeah. also add, though, too, we definitely can draw upon the traumatic death of Lily. But I also think Snape certainly has unresolved trauma that goes back further than that from everything that he experienced with his parents and the abuse of his father specifically, not just of him, but of his mother as well. And so I think when you roll that all together, yeah. um, this kind of explanation that Dana provides is is definitely one that I think again as as reading the series for the first time we never would have gone this deep into analysis but it's it's so great to see the way that that she wrote this emotional damage that's what we're looking at here so continuing on that uh we heard from Molly who asks us why James uh, she says, hey, Mugglecasters, just finished listening to your discussion of Snape and Lily. Really agree with your suggestion that Snape wanted to possess Lily and that this is an unhealthy form of love. But I think your discussion could benefit from greater analysis of not why Snape lost Lily, but why Lily chose James. James sometimes gets a bad rap 
from the worst memory scene, but we shouldn't forget that he saved Snape's life and sacrificed his own life so that Lily and Harry could have a chance to escape from Voldemort. Why his love didn't protect Lily and Harry, I still don't understand, except perhaps the author feeding into the trope that loving mothers must always lay down their lives for their children. James's birthday is coming up in March, and I'd love an episode where you all defend him as zealously as you defended Hufflepuff House. <laughs> wow. Also- <laughs> I think we've, is that a double dog dare? That sounds like a double dog dare to me. It might be. Just a final thought, when Snape is canonically greasy and James canonically has great hair, is there any wonder why Lily chose how she did? <laughs> wow. That was probably a very purposeful choice by Rowling to make you like Snape less. <laughs> what do we think? I, I, we we can definitely do this in a, in a future episode. We can talk about James in defense of James Potter. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. There are a few shots that kind of knock him down a few pegs in our eyes. All we get from anybody defending James in the books, I think, is Remus or Sirius telling Harry, "Oh, we got better, Harry, when he grew up." But he was already fifteen in Snape's worst memory, um, and they. He died a few years after. So we don't really know what changed in him. Look, Harry turned out good. I know James and Lily weren't raising him, but here comes Optimus Andrew again. Maybe in Harry's blood was, was good James and good Lily. And thus, James was a good guy because Harry was a good guy. Yeah, there's something personal that doesn't want me to be like, oh, a bully can be a good person because I was bullied. So they're like, oh, that's great. But I think James, yeah. um, there's definitely a purity to him, especially when you're talking about like morally questionable Snape. Um, I don't think James had the same problems that Snape did. And the problems that James had, I think Lily could work with. I think the best partnerships are those, those that make pe- both part- like partners better. And I think that would definitely have been the James and Lily dynamic. Um, and certainly yeah. not the. And family as I think issues. we were saying earlier, James grew out of his problems. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, here's some optimism for you, Andrew. I like to believe because I I was bullied too in like middle and high school, and I like to believe that the people who do that sort of thing are capable of growth. Yeah. That you know we are not sort of boiled down to the very worst versions of ourselves from very young on in life. I think it's also worth pointing out that generally someone who is a bully tends to have been bullied themselves. So Mm -hmm. there may be a whole part of James's backstory we just don't have. Um, We also have to point out that uh, Remus reminds Harry, you know, that things like Snape's worst memory, Harry's only seeing from Snape's point of view. And there were plenty of times where Snape was the one doing the needling and trying to provoke James. So I don't think that it was a one-sided issue. I think that James and Severus uh, both harassed each other. I'm not saying that it's a competition Mm. as to who did it more or who was worse about it. But I think that it's a little more nuanced than perhaps the portrayal Snape would give Mm. us um, suggests. Yeah. And let's yeah. not forget, it's Snape's worst memory that we're seeing. Right. Okay, well, uh, moving on, here is an email from Katie speaking to the topic of another Harry Potter. I really liked this episode. Uh, Hi, MuggleCast. I loved your episode 548, Will There Ever Be Another Harry Potter? As it's a topic I've thought about often, 
in particular the reasons as to why the Harry Potter series had and still has the impact that it does. As a Harry Potter fan, I couldn't resist exploring this further in my English lit degree, even writing about Ron's character in my final dissertation. That's really cool. One essay I wrote was actually about the escapism element that you guys spoke about on the podcast. I always found that the plot format of the Harry Potter series really helps with this feeling of escapism, as these stories always follow the same home-away-home pattern. With lots of other stories, the home part is where the comfort lies. For instance, The Shire and The Hobbit, the title of which is literally there and back again. The Shire is depicted as a place of comfort, safety, and friendship, an idyllic place to live. However, for Harry, home is the suburban, exceedingly normal Dursley residence, a place of unhappiness, loneliness, and despair for Harry, and a place from which he wishes to escape. I always find it so interesting to think that this may be the one reason why so many people choose the Harry Potter series as a way to escape temporarily from a real-life situation that may be troubling them. Readers can leave their troubles behind them when they board the Hogwarts Express with Harry. I also think that boarding school... Uh, I also think it helps that boarding school is no longer a common experience for children, at least not here in the UK. And so even though it's similar to that of a classic old school story, such as Enid Blyton's Mallory Towers series, it's an experience so far removed from that of most readers that this further adds to the feeling of escapism from everyday life, along with the obvious magic slash fantasy themes. I just wanted to share my thoughts and thank you for covering one of my favorite topics to do with this series. I loved listening to this discussion and also hearing other listeners' recommendations for different book series to try. Thanks, Katie. Thank you. Yeah, great feedback. Definitely. And to that point of escapism, I mean, I remember, and I'm curious to hear what you guys think. And I, I know I'm very like... I'm almost streamlining escapism here, but when I would read the Harry Potter books, especially when a new one would be released, literally I would look at the clock and then I would look at the clock and it would be several hours later. So it just goes to show you (laughs) in its like truest form escapism, you're literally becoming immersed into the world from a time standpoint because you're just like, I got to find out what happens next, what happens next. Or you're literally enjoying it so much that you don't even notice how much time is passing. Definitely. And it is funny yep. too, because the books, especially the later books, tended to come out during the summer, mm. which is a whole other type of escapism. If you're following, at, at least here in the States, a standard school year calendar, my summers were usually marked by a new Harry Potter book coming out. Yeah. And so I, you know, instead of like, wilting to death outside in the summer heat i would be inside in the air conditioning escaping to hogwarts right um, and it was it was just wonderful they don't even have air conditioning over there but it was still a great escape during the summer <laughs> they don't have air conditioning in the uk no they really don't like it's not common there i'm not kidding uh, like seriously not at okay. hogwarts not at hogwarts not <laughs> not in homes in europe yeah. listeners really? back me up on this yeah. this is this is true I stayed above a pub in Elephant and Castle in July, and there was no... Yeah, it's cooler nothing. over there. Temperature-wise, yeah. it's cooler over but there. But you had a fireplace probably, right? Yep. Yeah, of course. I, I, now that you're mentioning it, I'm thinking back to the places I stayed in Ireland, and I don't think I saw an air conditioning in any of them. But it has been getting hotter over there, and there's like articles on this now. People are like, wait, <laughs> are there any air conditioners around for us to buy? Hashtag global warming. So let's move on. Yep. Our next email comes from Ramon, uh, who writes in about another Harry Potter. Ramon says, hey, gang, sorry for the dramatic subject line. 
what was the dramatic subject line? It's not included. Oh, I'm gonna have to here. look it up. Hold on a second. You keep going. I'll find it. I've I've been recently diving back into the book since December and diving into all the details, histories, and nuance of Harry Potter. Thank you for your content. I feel that all of your points on series that attempted to capitalize on Harry Potter on the Harry Potter fandom were valid, but I also feel that y'all didn't bring up an imperative factor in the longevity of Harry Potter, and that's the licensing inclusive of merchandise, films, being all over TV, and of course, the theme parks that were perfectly designed so that folks can live their wizard lives vicariously. Do you believe that the books would have the imprint that they do without this machine behind them? It's a great question. It is. I do think it's possible for a book series or a television series to be enormously successful just through word of mouth. And I think that's what really drove Harry Potter. Um, I'm a big fan of the TV show Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad blew up because it uh, not because it was airing on AMC and people found it there. People found it on Netflix and started recommending it to each other. Mm-hmm. Or it's just like um, podcaster podcasters are always wondering, how do we grow the podcast? You can't really market podcasts. It's very difficult to do. It's all about word of mouth. That's the one way. The one surefire way to grow a show. So, yeah, I think merchandise and whatnot helped. Of course, WB spent millions and millions of dollars to market every Harry Potter movie. But really, I think for Harry Potter, it was word of mouth. We did talk about this on our show, actually. we talk, I talked about big, big banners in bookstores. Like, the marketing mm. definitely had a point, uh, had a real big moment where people would look across the street. Uh, remember being in London in 2007, double-decker buses with Harry Potter logos on them. Like, those go everywhere in the city. You couldn't be there and not see them. So I think it does. Yeah. it does play a role in making something bigger than it is. But that was like yeah. book seven. Yeah. And I mean, Harry Potter was established by then. I see what you're saying, but I don't think that's really what like drove the success. You know, I think this is kind of a conversation akin to what came first, the chicken or the egg, um, because the books were already doing very well by the time Warner Brothers purchased the rights to produce films. And WB would not have done that if there wasn't already some enormous success going on with the books Mm. and if there wasn't huge potential for the series going forward. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I think that Harry Potter would have been successful regardless. Maybe we wouldn't recognize it as quite the franchise we do today if it hadn't been for film adaptations and all of the merch that came with it. But I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. I don't think that Harry Potter would have fizzled out, though. I think the cultural phenomenon was a bit too strong for that. Agreed. What was the subject line? It was glaring omission in episode 548. Oh, that's not that dramatic. Yeah, Ramon, that we've had worse. Yeah, we've had a lot worse. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's time now for a throwback email. We do this every Muggle Mail episode. We dive, and by we, I mean Micah dives deep into our MuggleCast email account, which we've had for, yeah, you know, since the inception of the show. Yeah, where we've saved every single email. And if you send us an email at any point in the past 
16 17 years we probably have have it it. (laughs) in some way shape or form thank you gmail this email is from 12-27-2006, and it's an interesting email as we head into the Secrets of Dumbledore. It's from Chad, 25, at the time, of Columbus, Ohio. Subject line, Albus Dumbledore's Troubled Past. Uh, hello, MuggleCasters. I'm an avid fan of the Potter series. I'm not sure if you have investigated the subject of my inquiry yet to date, and in the hopes that you still haven't, I'll continue. In the chapter entitled The Cave and Half-Blood Prince on page 372 of the U.S. hardcover version, Dumbledore says some things that have urged the hamster in my head to throttle up from turtle to rabbit. While Dumbledore (laughs) is drinking the green liquid from the stone basin, it seems to me that he is reliving a horrible memory. Perhaps maybe the potion contains a memory that becomes more real than he wants it to when he drinks it. He says things like, no, make it... No, make it stop. I don't want to drink anymore, which doesn't surprise me much. But then he starts saying things like, no, I know I done wrong. Please don't hurt them and kill me. I want to die. Now, that was a bit alarming. My opinion is that maybe he is reliving a memory of his. My opinion as to what that memory is follows. Could Dumbledore have been partly responsible for Lily and James's deaths? Perhaps Dumbledore was even there that Halloween night and was pleading for their lives to Voldemort. Maybe Dumbledore had made some sort of deal with Voldemort and had not kept his end of the bargain up, though I cannot see Dumbledore making a deal with Voldemort, but you have to admit much of Dumbledore is still a mystery and perhaps will remain so. The reason in thinking he had made a deal with Voldemort, if this scenario has any fictional reality to it, is when he said, I know done wrong, please don't hurt them. Perhaps Dumbledore was prepared to give his own life up to save the lives of Lily and James when he said, I want to die, kill me. Always a pleasure listening to you. I traveled over the Christmas weekend and listened to episode 69 on the way. You keep the spirit of Harry Potter alive while we are all waiting for something new from Joe. Happy holidays, Chad. I love this. So, Micah, I think you were intrigued by this email because what he was saying in this moment could be answered in the third Fantastic Beasts movie. And and first off, I love that this email this was back when we still had to reference page numbers and what edition of the book you were reading <laughs> so that you know we could all be on the same page literally and figuratively but yeah, yeah. no this is just because uh, we had both <laughs> yeah we had, we did have both and um yeah we we mentioned the ariana casting at the top of the show i thought this was just a really kind of timely email i think chad's theorizing maybe a little bit off um i think that you know, this definitely has to do with that night or day in Godric's Hollow um, when when the, the duel kind of happened between Aberforth and Albus and Grindelwald and, and Ariana was the unfortunate um, effect of that. And yeah, I just, I thought it was really cool, timely, because I think it's something we're likely going to see in the next Fantastic Beast film. Also yeah. important context, this email came in in 2006. I did read the date, but just as a reminder, this is, of course was before book seven came out. So uh, yeah. Right. Yep. So we yep. wouldn't have had that context. Yeah. Important to point out, though, that Godric's Hollow is the setting for both of these horrible events, right? So I think that Chad was on to something here, even though... We couldn't have known what it was at the time. Oh. Totally, totally. And and I like the fact that we can actually see what he says here because I wonder if they're going to use this exact words in 
the next movie. And it seems that that would be cool. You know, Dumbledore was really trying to plead on behalf of presumably his brother and his sister because he refers to them. So it's not just Ariana he would have been talking about. Yeah. Yeah, Aberforth too. Yeah. Or if somebody else was there, we don't know about. Could them be Ariana and Credence? Yeah. (laughs) Credence, yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. All right. And we'll wrap up this Muggle Mail episode with a chicken soup for the Muggle Cast Soul from one of our 15-year-old listeners who said, I found your podcast in 2021, and I was hooked from the first episode I listened to. I just wanted to send you a huge thank you. I've been struggling with my mental health for a few years now, and in December, I was diagnosed with depression and an anxiety disorder. The week of my diagnosis was the hardest in my life. I was uncomfortable and in pain and could hardly see the light. At my darkest times, I had my phone pressed to my ear with MuggleCast playing with me concentrating on your words. I remember one night I woke up and caught you guys laughing about Professor Sprout's love life. You guys have pulled me out of panic attacks and allowed me to breathe and pushed me to speak out about how I've been struggling. I don't know what I would have done without you guys. Your podcast is everything to me. It's the comfort of the imaginary world and the safe part of my mind reimagined and discussed. And also the fact that I found some fellow world jumpers that reintroduced the thrill of living in two worlds. I just want to let you know you have touched so many lives in so many beautiful ways from the very bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. A forever grateful Gryffindor. That's wow. incredibly powerful. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. Seriously. Um, I'm not going to speak for anyone else. But I will speak for myself when I say that depression and anxiety are incredibly challenging to work through. Um, and the fact that you've found this podcast as a tool to help you do that is so, I don't know, it's so powerful to me. I'm like humbled and just so grateful that you're willing to share your story with us. It's not an easy thing to do and it's a powerful thing to do. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. Hashtag we're your Harry Potter friends and happy to be there for you. So if you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can contact us by writing or sending a voice message to mugglecast.gmail.com. If you're going to go the voice message route, just record a message using the voice memo app on your phone. You can also use the contact form on mugglecast.com or you can leave a voicemail on our phone. Our traditional phone line, that is. The number is one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. And don't forget, next week, in honor of Black History Month, we're going to be talking about representation in Harry Potter, or lack thereof. And we would love to hear from listeners of color about how the Harry Potter books have resonated with you, and how you see yourself or would like to see yourself represented in the Potter series. So please send in that feedback, and we will try to include as much of it as possible in that episode. All right, it's time for Quizage. Last week's question, in Deathly Hallows, where are the trio camping while Ron leaves? Going to be honest with everyone, this question was a little bit harder, actually a lot harder than I was expecting to make it. It turns out there's no specific location, but the answer that was accepted was a riverbank in Wales. So, it's not the Forest of Dean, and it's not the place where they had the Quidditch World Cup a few years 
before? There were five correct answers, and they were all submitted by Miss Mel, Karina Z, The Welsh Wizard, Shyam, and Smushed Golden Snidget, as well as What's With Video Game Hagrid? So, <laughs> congratulations to everybody. Have you guys seen that meme where it's like the really pixelated PS1 Hagrid? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super, yeah. super funny. So, I have a much easier question from Deathly Hallows for next week's <laughs> Quizich. Next week's Quizich question in Deathly Hallows. What two solutions does Hermione give Ron to make it stop raining in Yaxley's office? Submit your answer to us on the MuggleCast website, mugglecast.com slash Quizich, and click Quizich in the upper right-hand corner of the MuggleCast main menu on the website. Thanks for playing. Also, make sure you're following MuggleCast for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We release new episodes every Tuesday. And leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you use one of those. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. Our username is MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Lots of fun stuff happening there with our social media manager, Chloe. So don't miss out on all the action. Thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Happy 550, everybody. <laughs>